You're listening to Yoshi Obayashi. Okay, welcome to the、um, first episode practice run here in K Town. And my name is Yoshi. And I'm a podcaster and comedian, live in Los Angeles, and I'm here with Mark Jones. And Mark is、uh, a good friend of mine and also、uh, brother in law of Jonathan Branstein, and of course, your lovely sister, Laura Kay. And, of course.、Um, we've been. Why, why do you say it like that? <laughs> <laughs> well,、uh, you know, she's my sister, basically.、Yeah. So. She's great. And I met you through, obviously, through your sister and Jonathan. And I think. I, th- I think maybe last year or so, we, we, you know, what little time we had, we were talking to each other about comic book and things like that. And I, I didn't realize how knowledgeable you were and how much、um, you like them.、And、well, I'm just a huge fan. I mean, it's kind of cool because I was thinking when you asked me to do this,、mm-hmm. I met you right before I was moving out here. I've been here about a year and a half in LA. Right. And、um, I had just started kind of. Listening to podcasts on a regular basis. So I was so excited, you know, that you were like, you had your own podcast and everything. And I started listening to it. And I remember when I drove out here from Denver,、um, man, I went through about five of your podcasts. Oh, that, did you? Yeah, that's、uh, kind of my memory of driving out here is listening to all these people you had met out here. And, and、um, you, you even recommended me, like, Bunch of good ones that like, I didn't know anything about and started listening to them. And I get accused people,、uh, people say, like, I'm a weirdo because I don't listen to music. And I'm not a, against music per se. Yeah. I, I do like I do like art, but I, I like listening to music when it's part of some other art, like movies or TV or theaters or opera and things like that. Then, then I'll listen to it. But for the most part, I prefer. A lot of podcasts and talking radio shows and things like that because listening to music, you know, I just, it's just all emotion, but I really like, I'm just a curious person, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. podcasting, initially I was not a for it, but once, you know, I got into it, I like it a lot and it's really fun to listen and it kind of kills time in a more productive way, you know. Right. So, when I, so when I met you, and I think we, we were lucky enough to go to a couple of conventions. And you know, last week we went to Stan Lee's 75th anniversary of Marvel Comics, and、uh, right. we were talking and, and we we're recording this podcast because you know we were trying to like maybe experiment, you know, talk about a couple subject matter that we like a lot. So,、um, well, yeah, it felt like we did a whole podcast at dinner, like, yeah, <laughs> because we were talking about all these things, the comic books, Stan Lee, and then. All the TV shows that we like, which I've been like devouring so many TV shows this year. So, yeah, and it, and you know, sometimes people think like this is for like people with like lonely or solitary individual, but I think t- TV shows in America is so sophisticated. It really、oh, is it's a, incredible. It, it's incredible. It's art and、uh, it's, it's really about stories, you know.、Yeah. And I, I think today we're going to talk about Walking Dead, you know.、Yes. I'm not an expert, but you know. <laughs> You read the comic books. I'm、yeah. curious to talk about it, but also because of your、um, academic background and what you used to live, living. So, 
Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Um, sure. Well, I mean, I... Um, what did you, first of all, where did you go to school? Well, I got a bachelor's of mm. science at the University of Arkansas. Okay. And I was pre-med back then. And actually, to back up just a little bit, mm -hmm. in, in high school, what I was hell-bent on doing was going to film school. But I grew up in Arkansas, in a small town in Arkansas. Um, you know, we didn't have any connections to Hollywood or sure. anyone in the entertainment industry. And back then, there weren't as many options as there are now. And so, uh, uh, you know, that whole dream kind of slipped away. I just said, well, I'm going to go to school with my friends and my buddies. I was, you know, maybe too scared or too uh, reticent to go off to New York or right. to California. So, but that dream kind of always stayed with me. But anyway, I took this long detour. Yeah. And uh, got interested in science and thought I was going to be pre-med. But then I did an internship in a hospital, saw what the lives of doctors are kind of like personally. Yeah. How they have no life. And I kind of second-guessed that. And, but I still wanted to be a part of helping people. So sure. psychology was the thing I kind of landed on. And I went and got a master's degree in that and became a, a professional therapist and so how, how does that work so you have four-year degrees you get your master's and while you're getting master's do, do you do you get like um uh, with the help of uh, professors do you, do you do you have a chance to like actually kind of practice and work with people with oh, issues yeah. how yeah. does that work like yeah well like in the world of psychology the top tier is the psychiatrist who has an md and they could prescribe uh, medications. Right, uh -huh. right. Like, you know, in the old days, they actually did therapy, mm -hmm. you know, but because of the way health insurance is now and they only see people for 15 minutes, all they do now is prescribe meds or get people into hospitals, do like, you know, crisis intervention, things like that. Sure. So uh, then there's another level of PhD psychologist and then anyone with a master's degree or above can be what is the catch-all phrase, a psychotherapist. Okay. So, so, but you still have to be licensed by the state to do that in, in all the states. So, so, yes, you do get the training, but as you're going through a master's program or a Ph.D. program, you also have to try and do therapy with people. Yeah. And then it's heavily suggested that you do your own therapy, you know. What does that mean, like, you do your own? Well, that means that you go and you go to therapy with someone. Like I see. You, because, you know, they want to make sure that you know what it's like being on the other side of the couch sure. before you, you know, start trying to help people with their own issues or whatever. So, which I did, and, you know, it was eye-opening for me, so... I think that was actually the best training I had is going to my own therapy. So when you're helping people and you are helping with people with problems, sometimes it's got to bother you, right? I mean, you know, you're helping someone. So when you're getting therapy, how, how much of it have been like you're getting help with your personal issues and other part, you're dealing with the fact that, you know, I'm sure it's hard to help people with these issues, you know, and do you talk to the ther whoever is your therapist like well there's a little distinction like you um 
you know, there's your own personal therapy where you might, you go to someone to talk about your own life and whatever issues you may have. But then there is the whole idea of supervision where you would have uh, a more advanced, you know, clinician who you go to see to help you when you're helping other people. So, and usually that's spelled out when you have a client, they know that you're being supervised by someone or that you may confer, you know, or talk to someone about what's going on. Um, you know, uh, so it's a little, you try to keep your own stuff out of what's going on. So otherwise, you know, (laughs) someone's paying you to help you. So that's, doesn't work out too well. And, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not getting therapy from you, but one thing (laughs) I noticed most of the therapists I meet, they're really good listeners. And I, I think that's probably a big important thing i guess to listen to people yeah uh, yeah, of course i mean you know they um for in my last job i was actually in a position where i was helping people that were new uh clinicians and i was helping train them and things Mm -hmm. and 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 some of the new research that is out uh, basically has shown that it doesn't really matter what theory or theoretical framework a therapist comes to the table with. What matters is the rapport they build with someone. And if you have good rapport sure. and the person feels comfortable with you and feels like you have something to offer, yeah. then the person gets better. Um, and it doesn't really matter what kind of system they're using, what tricks they have up their sleeve, you know. So rapport or listening is important. It's just like podcasting probably you know you're having a conversation and you're try to authentically listen to a person so well there's that scene from goodwill hunting where matt Damon's character yeah you know he's, he's in, in, in the story if you haven't watched the movie it's a great movie the guy's a genius but have emotional issues yeah and he got in trouble so one of the condition of getting out of jail is get treatment right and right so he'd go through one therapist after another and he make he make fun of him, ridicule them, and they don't want to deal with him. But right. Robert Williams' character ended up being somebody who make a connection, like you were saying, right? And ended up helping him, you know. Um, yeah, he was too he was too smart. He was like using that as a defense and yeah. like shutting all the therapists down real fast. So, and, and and if you watch the movie, you know that Matt Damon's character was well was um, abused and um, right. you know emotionally damaged person. And um, the listening thing, going back, I, I read this book called uh, Straight Jacket Society, a guy named Dr. Miyamoto, and he was um, Japanese who was trained in Boston. And it was interesting, the book, uh, he started re- re-examining how uh, quirky and crazy Japanese are as a group, but his, his professor in Boston told him that quite often people who speak English as a second language, tend to be a good listener, like Freud and all those other therapists, because because it's their second language, they have uh, no yeah. choice but to right. be a more better listener, you know. Right. And and uh, that book was amazing because they keep use psychotherapy to examine uh, problems the Japanese face day to day basis, you know. And yeah. I think I think um, uh, psychotherapy. And psychology is quite behind in Asia because the, there's still stigma. Because if you have cancer, they're not going to judge you as a 
bad character, but right. if, if people, whatever they call you, a crazy person or mentally ill, there's a judgment. So pe- people are really afraid to talk about it and get help, you know? So, sure. Um, sure. I, I just think when we had this conversation, I thought it would be fun to talk about various comic book and movie and characters oh, yeah. that uh, um, it would be interesting to, you know, talk about. And there's many Walking Dead or Game of Thrones podcasts, yeah. you know, but um, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk to you, like a fi- fan of the comic book, fan of the show, like yeah. use your background. And because I have a lot of questions and sometimes I wasn't really clear on some of the things in the show. So, Well, you know, we some I didn't tell you that, um, mm-hmm. you know, I had been, I did, I started doing therapy like in 1993-ish and continued until about, uh, t- well, 2012, um, off and on, I, it slowly, pr- I slowly got out of it. But one of the questions I started asking people, new clients all the time, at some point I would ask them what their favorite movie was because, um, you know, over time I figured out just talking to people about these kind of stories, like whatever their favorite book or yeah. co- even comic books or, or, or TV shows that, there's always like one movie usually for people that they're really into and it really gives you some insight into their personality, their personality and their, their like, um, their, like their greatest kind of inner conflict. Yeah. And, and whatever that movie is, like it could be legally blonde or something like that, that, um, that there's something in that story that they have just that just is like a light bulb for them or something that that, that is really inspiring. Sure. Because it kind of helps them in a certain way or helps them. They see the hero overcoming the thing that they really want to overcome in their own life. Any know? movie title that surprised you and their, their reasoning why they like it over the years? Man, <laughs> yes, I can't remember offhand, but yes. I mean, it is amazing. I mean, um can I give you an example? Because yeah, I yeah. have a friend named George. He's a comedian. And he's a re- great guy. But when he was a kid, he got in trouble because he wasn't gang in, in, you know, in L.A. Yeah. East L.A., things like that. And um, he got in trouble. And he turned his life around. And when he did a comedy show on TV, a guy who he got fired like eight, nine years before... He punched the guy so hard, the guy lost sight in one eye. That's how oh, hard, hard he had yeah. And Like knocked that just, optic just, yeah. nerve <laughs> He was trying to protect one of his friends, yeah. but um, he ended up punching this guy. And the guy with the one eye saw him on the TV show, and he, they got him, and George ended up going to jail for like two years. You know, oh, So he's a sweet guy, but if you don't know him, he you know, he's Latino and like, you know, like cholo looking guy i mean just he's, he looked like a really tough guy yeah so when he got out of prison i i i told him you know i still have access to tonight's show and i asked him well just you know if you ever want to go and take your wife you know tell me you know if, if there are particular guests you want to go see yeah. and then he told me i asked him like is there any musical act that you like and it really you know surprised the shit out of me because i don't know if i'm saying her name or i saw they um I, the jazz singer, uh, that you know, soft singing. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I thought he was going to say gangster rap and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, just like it's incongruent because yeah. you you think you know people, but people really have 
that was really surprising. You know? Right. I, I would have never guessed that that's soft, romantic yeah. love story. You know, yeah. so it does say someone's yeah. personality. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, that, that that reminds me. Have you ever heard the story? Um, not Reverend Run, but DMC of Run DMC. Yeah. DMC tells a story about how he was so depressed. I mean, he was suicidal. And this is like recent. And he one day listened to that Sarah McLaughlin song, like Angel yeah. or something. And that song like lifted him out of his depression. He yeah. was like listening to it every day, every day, every day. And the people, his little entourage got so sick of it. And then he finally met Sarah at like a party and they ended up doing some kind of song or something. But he was like, here's this like, you know, well-known iconic rapper coming to sure. like and saying, you, you saved my life with your song, which some people think, you know, they're so sick of hearing that song that you would never think that would have that kind of impact. But yeah, you just, you just never know. Like Dr. Dre, you know, from Long Beach, you know, with the whole rap and like really hard, you know, hard music. He went through a really tough time in, you know, that part of the L.A., especially in the 80s and 90s, you know. But yeah. he wrote this song about a song about his brother. I think his brother got murdered or something. It's, it was a very touching and sweet song. You, you, So you just don't know what people are capable of and feelings that, you know. I mean, I right. had family members committing suicide and like every time I hear people killing themselves, it just... You just don't know what why right. they do it. People could speculate, but you just don't know why people do what they do, and yeah. you only know this after the fact, you know. So, um, I did just think of one um, thing, uh, movie, but it's not a shocking movie. Yeah. I mean, it's a favorite of many people, but the way they impacted this guy, he it was The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, so, but but do you know the scene in The Godfather where? Um, it's Vito, right? He's the Godfather. He he goes into a hospital, and Michael has to. Uh, he rushes to the hospital. They hear he's going to get killed there. Vito Colleone, the father who got right. shot. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's in the hospital, and they're they're gonna they're gonna make sure he's dead, basically. And so Michael comes, and he had, and no one is in the hospital. They've abandoned it. The police, and so Michael goes out and you know al pacino and he's on the steps and uh this client of mine said you know he had grown up with kind of an abusive father sure and, and he had always been he was like a kind of a meek kind of guy sure. you know just real reserved and never felt powerful never felt like he had the strength he he should have but and, and he was also uh, in a Christian ministry. So, you know, like violence was not something that was a part of his, you know, daily life or anything. But that movie he would watch over and over and he'd watch that scene because that moment where Michael goes out there. And there's a baker, right? He's helping him. Right. He's helping him. And Michael notices that when these guys drive by, and they're you know they're look they're casing the joint. And they're going to come kill his father. Michael notices that the baker guy is shaking in his boots, sure. and he notices he's not shaking. Right, and that's kind of that moment where he realizes, you know, I can do this. I can be like my father. Right, or I can even be stronger than my father. And that client 
just would watch that scene over and over, you know. So I, I just thought that was fascinating, you know. That's we get so much strength from these stories, you know. And That's, I think I think um, you know, Godfather is almost three hours long, but it never feels long, and yeah, it's, it, yeah. it, it, it's really not really about mob for most people. It's about family, you know. Exactly. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, the first one and second one. I'm, I'm not too crazy about the third one, but right. Yeah, it's 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 really fun to watch it because it it that's why it's called movie. It really moves you, you know. Right. Yeah, and I I think we want to talk about a bunch of other stuff, but we we're here. Uh, want to talk about Walking Dead? Yeah, we're committed to talking about some Walking Dead. We've got some. I felt like we had so much pent up energy over Walking Dead. And you and I like so many questions. Yeah, I, I um, maybe if people who are who are listening to the show haven't watched Walking Dead. You you want to give um, kind of like basic background? What's it about? Because you read the books, comic books too. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean it's it's, yeah. it's asking a lot, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. I don't know if I can do it justice, but basically, the the comic books came first. Mm-hmm. And they were written by Robert Kirkman. And the story is, um, it's a zombie story, basically, an apocalyptic story. But um, a sheriff named Rick Grimes wakes up and discovers that the whole world has gone to hell. He wakes up in the hospital. He wakes up in the hospital. He's been in a coma because he got shot during an incident where he was trying to come to the rescue of someone. As a as a sheriff, and don't tell me he he shot an unarmed black boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, this is not Missouri. Never mind. Yeah. No, it was Georgia. <laughs> Close, but no cigar. Um, God, wouldn't that be terrible if that was part of the story? But uh, yeah. So anyway, he wakes up, discovers the world's changed, and uh, and, and is this in the, I can't remember. Is it in Atlanta, Georgia, or just in someplace in Georgia? That's a good, I don't think it's Atlanta, but I think I think in the comic book and in uh, the the TV series, it's Georgia. I think. Okay. Now this is what's this is what's hard about reading the comic book and the TV show is I get them confused because the storylines are slightly different. Different, right? Yeah. And, and this is what I heard. The reason why they they picked the Atlanta, Georgia, is because the creator of the book lived in some town in Kentucky. And that was like a closest uh, location to film it. You know, well, see, I may be off about where the comic book starts because it's been a while. I mean, they're on like issue one hundred and twenty or something yeah. now. So, but um, but any anyway, so we know we know that zombies have taken over. The dead are out walking around, and his wife is missing, and he goes off on a journey to figure out what's happened, and, right. and you know. That's the beginning of the story, basically. And then there's a lot of drama that goes on after that. Right. So. And there's a bunch of important characters. And um, it's it's addicting because as American, we like violence. Right. And when you kill a zombie, it is fun to watch. And, yeah. But um, I think the violence against zombies incidental, it's it's the the character that we ended up liking. It's, you yeah. know, it's you start caring for these characters and I think some people want to, I wouldn't say it's fantasy, but they want to put themselves in the story. Like how would they react if they were in that situation? You know, exactly. I think, I think it's interesting. The comic books, 
you know, I've read comic books all my life. And I remember when I first started reading Walking Dead, there was part of it I didn't like because, you know, you can get through a comic book usually like in five minutes or so. Sure. Uh, you're sitting in the bathroom or something. It's like a breeze, you know. But they look like a Bible. It's massive books. Well, right? well, they, they it's dialogue dense. These these uh, his writing, and and it really is about character. The characters, like you said, and, and the you know the relationships. Like it's there's not a lot of like superhero kind of stuff in the comic books, right? right. And so in the TV show, I think they've translated that so well that. Like, you know, every episode is just this intense, you know, who's worse, the zombies or the people in the, you right. know, that they're, they're facing in the show and what's going to happen in this relationship. And, and it's just, a, just a very well done show. So in this story, um, if you have watched the show there or read the comic book, his wife, Lori and his son, Carl, and they're separated and Rick's best friend slash partner is another cop, a police officer named Shane. Right. And what complicated the situation is um, his wife and son thought he was dead and Shane became almost like a surrogate father to Carl and become love interest of Lori. And this kind of complicates down the road because I, I think, um, you know, whatever that normal ethical standards that's kind of hard to apply in situations like this because the whole world is fucked up. And right. um, you, you meet a bunch of other characters throughout, but you don't see a therapist. You know, like this, <laughs> this is a time where no, that's not all. only psychological problem, but you're also dealing with like philosophical problems too, you know? Right, and, um, right. Um, I think that's, to me, uh, what I get sucked into the story so much about is like you've... This is a situation in which um, not only are their individual lives changed, but yeah. the whole world has changed, and they're having to rebuild everything. Sure. And, and um, not only are they surviving, but they're trying to figure out, like, um, what what is our new belief system going to be? And, and, you know, like, I think one of, one of the examples we started talking about over dinner was um, – throughout the show in the comic books it starts out like first they don't even know what the hell is happening right then they see people die and then they come back and they want to eat you and if you get bitten you're going to die and then you're going to become one of them and uh they're just about survival and then they have to decide well or figure out oh we can kill these zombies you know there's a way to get rid of them sure and then they get to herschel's farm herschel's another character he's a farmer in the show that in that has this isolated farm that they the whole group finally goes to he has a two daughter um there's some other uh lady i can't remember her name and one of the daughter's boyfriend i guess his name was jimmy and they're living the farm right and her show is um r religious person he, he had right. a faith and um it, it was tough because if you, if if you you're, if you're up to date with Walking Dead, he ended up keeping rest of his family and his wife who turned her into a zombie, and he still considered them as people simply sick, you know. But, yeah, um, yeah. It's, and he it's, he so he keeps them locked in a barn, right? 
and he's a guy that he's like the wise old man in the in those episodes and he's like saying well wait a minute maybe we can cure them we shouldn't kill them and to me that was like the first flip like they had to decide well you know are we going to kill these people or are we not you know or we we've got us uh, we've got to do something to survive of course in the show the the barn the people in the barn get out and start eating people so the there decision is made for them a little bit we we i'm not a religious person but I, there's some value i have to say uh, hope it's hard to live without a hope right you know even right. if you're an atheist person you have to have a hope and faith is basically you just believe in something without any sort of like ev- scientific evidence right and right. i could kind of understand i mean do you think he was having a wishful thinking or delusional or do you think that might be possibility down the road to find cure i mean you know i don't i don't know yeah. what happened but um that's got to be hard to lose a loved ones and this is a common theme you know there's other so-called bad people right uh, there's a character named governor we we later on find yeah. out and he he might have been a decent person but losing his daughter and he's keeping his zombie daughter away and I could empathize yeah. with that. You know, you, you love someone and you care about them and this is something that happened to them and you don't want to let it go. Um, right. Like you're okay killing the other dead, yeah. but, but not your own, you know? And, the, and I, yeah, I think Rick is kind of like... He's the hero of the show. Yeah, the and way. he's the everyman and he's like us trying to decide what to do. Of course, Rick's a cop, so he's like... All, biz- all business. He's used to violence. He's used to protecting people. He knows, like he he has that cop mentality that, um, you know, people there are bad people. And we need to stop bad people. Sure. You know, but in case in this case they're zombies. Um, and Herschel's got this whole family orientation where he wants to keep his family together, and uh, you know, so it, it's interesting that. I mean, eventually Rick wins him over and says, "Look, man, we get we got to survive. We gotta, right. These people are dead. You've got to move on." You know, without not getting detail, but eventually there's things that happen in the story where Herschel decides that he need to do best for his two daughters, right? Uh, Beth and Maggie, right? And um, um, I, I like Herschel's character because he, um, you know, he had a difficult time. You know, there's times I think after his dead zombie wife and family right. members were, you know, shred to pieces. I think he started drinking alcohol, and and I think if I remember, he hasn't touched alcohol since the birth of Maggie. You know, right? So, yeah, he's supposed to be an alcoholic or in, that's been mm-hmm. in recovery. Yeah, and that shit runs in my family too. So you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what's the you being therapist why people drink why they drink but um he was trying to deal with it It was a very difficult time yeah and there's another character that i really like uh dale yeah and how would you describe dale because dale seemed like he has hopeful civilization and right right and wrong and we have to still behave in a way that we we don't lose our humanity. It sounds corny, but yeah. he he was a civilizing effect. You know, it's almost like Lord of the Flies. You know how <laughs> there's a two part. If you read the book or watch the movie, yeah, you have a one side that um, you have to have some 
I don't know, law or code or, or something to keep you away from being savages, you know, literally. But yeah, it was really sad that... Uh, well, I think like Dale and Herschel and then there in the comic books, there's other older men like that, that, that come in and they're like, they're the, um, the, uh, the kind of the spiritual consciousness the people like they're trying to say, we've got to remember to hope. We've got to remember to live. Yeah. We got to remember that we love each other. We, we can't just be savages, you know, and like, thinking of the psychology of it, you know, like Carl Jung would, would say the way to interpret dreams or stories like this is to look at like all the character, all the characters are one aspect of one person's personality. You know, he was big on like mythology and archetype, right? Right. Right. So like, if you think about it, like, like Rick is one aspect of ourselves and, and then Herschel is the other aspect. Rick's the guy saying, we've just got to survive. Herschel is the part of us that wants to hold on to hope and sure. believe that all of this shit hasn't happened, but it, you know, and then there's, you know, other aspects like the governor, the darker parts of us that just, you know, want to kill and, and for killing sake, you know, because there's something, uh, you know, satisfying about that. And and that's what's so cool about the show is you're looking at all these characters fighting it out, deciding who's going to win, who's going to have the power, you know. Um, if you watch, if you know the character Governor, he kind, you know, there there's some bunch of these ideas like, you know, there's a bit of a social Darwinisms are there. Um, and if you study philosophy, um, Thomas Hobbes, when he talk about in the book Leviathan, this is like a common like, politic one-on-one if you take in college. But, you know, when he said life in the state of nature is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And like everyone, every man for himself, you know. Right. And um, that's like collapse of civilization. You know, the, like, like the book you're talking about, The Road, literally, it just, there's no law. There is no law except the law of the nature, you know. It's just everyone for himself. And I, I think her, for you to sustain group of people you have to have a civilization but when it breaks like that it's yeah. it's, it's you know I'm, I'm i had a luxury of living in countries that i didn't have to deal with that you know? right right um so if if you don't mind because i, I only reread first one two and three season and i know what happened recently in season four and five but if you Which, if you last season has been incredible it's it so that, intense I think season five was a, probably the best season. Yeah. But um, starting with that first episode where they're at the trough, you remember that? Where they're going to, you know, they've gone to Terminus and they're, I, I don't know if they're called this in the show, but like all the fans call them termites, the people living in Terminus. Oh, really? Yeah. Or, or the hunters mm-hmm. in the comic books. And basically they've decided the way to handle all this is to eat people. They become yeah. cannibals. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there you go again. You're going down the slippery slope from, should we kill zombies? Uh, no, let's don't kill them. Okay, let's kill them. Oh, how about let's start killing other people too, you know? And Wait, let's eat ex- people. But can you explain to me? I thought that facility from uh, till end of season four and five, there, 
initially their intention was good, but something bad happened to them for them to realize this is not going to work. We have to become. They yeah. just became intention was good, but they they were attacked. If I remember right, so they become a savage and they start you know tricking people to come to this facility, right. thinking they're giving them sanctuary, but in actuality. Whoever showed up, they're going to end up being on the dinner table. Right, exactly. So what, that's what happened. Yeah, right? that's yeah. what was happening. It was just, it's horrifying. I mean, that that whole scene, I still, it just haunts me where they're sitting there about to get their throats slit, you know. But, um, and then, you know, they've got some guy hanging up on a hook, you know, in the back, and they're, they're yeah. basically chopping him up for dinner. But, uh, well, you know, in the comic books, they, um, they they explain that the these guys were basically been out on their own just like Rick's group mm-hmm. and they ran out of food and they started trying to hunt animals and they couldn't get enough animals fast enough to to survive and they ended up eating their children which is horrifying and once they once they started eating the kids then you know all bets are off. They're, they they started hunting other humans, basically. Because on the road, I remember um, I read a part where they they put this newborn baby on the they're uh, roasting this newborn baby and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. You know, and, it's so horrible. Um, the so, road is like the road is a novel by Cormac McCarthy, and all of his novels are kind of dark already. But they're so descriptive, and that and the road is is to me it's like the Walking Dead, uh, you know, squared basically because it's just, I mean, your own imagination takes over and you start thinking up things more horrible than you've seen on the show, you know. Because in, yeah. at least in Walking Dead, every once in a while they'll meet a new group that they end up liking and they they could work yeah. as a group. So there's a still possibility and hope of collaboration but there is no hope of that at all no no not in the road yeah and in the movie uh beagle mortensen and his son and they don't have a name in the uh, book in the movie it's just called the son and the father right and they're basically trying to survive in just 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 one horrific thing after another but at least in walking dead there is hope and I thought, see, I didn't know until recently, Walking Dead is not talking about zombies, but they're actually talking about what? You know you know that. Yeah, the, the group themselves, the, the survivors, basically. And basically, they're losing hope, so they're literally... They're the Walking Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole speech, I know, in one of the comic books where Rick is talking... I think he's talking to Michonne, and, or, or maybe it's Andrea that... Um, where he he finally admit he just he's like look at me look at me, look at my eyes he goes there's nothing left in me you know he goes I, I'm totally I'm dead uh, I'm the Walking Dead and you know that's the whole gist of it because um in the beginning of the uh, at least in the TV show Rick was this really uh, rigid law and order morality guy right and he was having problem with his uh, former colleague. Uh, friend Shane because Shane fell in love with his wife and thought Rick was dead then um, there were just conflict trying to which one of them is going to take the control of the group and you know if you watch the show Shane actually was not a bad guy circumstance has made him darker and darker and the fact right. that he lost his wife and he's losing Lori who is married to Rick but um, 
uh, it's a really tough call because w when you watch the show, like, oh, people are not that easily black and white, you know. And right. throughout the show, Rick's outlook and how he behaved changed dramatically. You know, he's um, that he does this weird thing where, um, like, season four and five, whenever he kills someone, shut up after he murder, you know, like after he kills right. them, you know. And um, when his wife dies, giving birth to their baby, and Carl have to shoot her in the head. You know, he started hallucinating and seeing his dead wife. So, right. yeah. Um, Which is a sign of horrific trauma that you, you're starting to be psychotic, you know. Yeah. You're starting to have psychotic symptoms. So let's say, and, like, you, you're the, let's say you're lucky enough to survive. You're, you're from Arkansas, but somehow you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you meet this group and you convince Rick to like you and you see all this problem. I mean, I'm sure you're going to have issues too, but member of the group let's say that you you're going around trying to help people so um ha, let's say you're at the halfway point in season five which just ended a couple of weeks ago yeah um hearing the story about carl how would you help this boy because he's seen a lot you know yeah. he's seen um shane who was like his surrogate father until his dad showed up he get killed and he uh, his father killed shane and turned into a zombie then he ended up killing him yeah, and he ended up shooting his mom in the head, and there was another first group, child to get killed was Sophia, who was yeah. lost. And later on, we find out in barn that yeah. the little girl turned into a zombie, and he ended up shooting her, if I remember right. So, you know, he's gonna have issues, you know. So, so, so if you if you're taking care of Carl, the funny thing about Carl is he doesn't have issues. That's he doesn't. Well, you know, I mean, if we looked at it from our perspective in our world hell yes he has issues you know he's got a lifetime of issues but but i, I think in that world he doesn't have a luxury of getting therapy right i mean he's like stable in their world he's more stable than his father which is really weird you know and and um and i mean i i think it's you know if you look at it from a psychological point of view he he's becoming a little bit of like a, a psychopath and that's why he's stable. He just doesn't give a shit. You know, he, he has no feeling about anything but survival. So he doesn't have any emotional attachment to anyone. He's given that up. Can I ask you something? I mean, how do you define psychos and sociopaths? Is there a big difference between the two? Well, you know, the, well, there there is a little bit of a difference. I mean, a sociopath is traditionally the idea is that it's someone that's super antisocial that'll break rules, um, but but still has some guilt uh, over what they're doing, you know. But they, they do have a guilt. They do have some guilt, right? Are they able to empathize with people? Well, that's what I mean. They have some empathy left. A psychopath is someone that usually um, is is impulsively doing harm to people. Has no connection whatsoever to people mm -hmm. does not feel any guilt whatsoever and it's kind of you know really gone to the dark side so to speak you know uh, a sociopath has insight a little bit into what they're doing right. i mean they may not feel the, the whole reason we're calling them a sociopath is because they don't feel guilty like a normal person but you know they still have a little bit of um you know of that insight but the weird thing is those two terms are really interchangeable well no they're not even used anymore in psychiatry okay. now they're used in 
like when we're talking or in the popular press and stuff, but like when people are getting diagnosed, you'd never get diagnosed as a sociopath nowadays. You'd get a diagnosis like a personality disorder. That's like, what they call it? Yeah, it'd be like you'd be an antisocial wait, wait. personality disorder. But is that like a PC thing? Well, well why wouldn't you call somebody a sociopath? Because well, okay, I guess you, 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 don't, you don't use that term. Like when people are filling out health insurance forms now, yeah. The doctor would not put psychopath. <laughs> okay, <laughs> he would he would put antisocial personality disorder, you know, with yeah. psychosis or something like that. So, uh, or narcissistic personality disorder. My question is: Do you, do you think do you think some people are just born like that, or do you, um, do you think it's it's a combination, either born or they they were in like a really unfortunate environment circumstance that make them behave that way well i think i mean personally i think yes people i think genetics play a huge role in it right um and then there are circumstances that can you know like any genetic thing can kind of make it worse or better right um in the story side of it with carl i think what the story is saying is this world has created carl like that because he you know, like you just listed everything he's gone through. What's interesting, though, is like like you were saying, how would you help them? Well, if I were in that story, I would be among the survivors and everyone has been traumatized to the hilt. Right. So it's like this new set point. You know, there's no therapy. There's yeah. not there's no place for that anymore. You know, the, all of what we think of is horrible. I mean, all of that is is been um, thrown out. You know, there's a whole, it's a whole new world where horrible is happening all the time. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder because you know you hear you see this a lot in like Africa, like child soldiers. You know, and right. quite often when you see like, you know, these kids are like barely not even tall enough to use AK forty seven, but they are trained early on by the adults in their in desperate situation where. They would tell these kids to go and actually shoot and kill people. You yeah. Know? So, um, well, like you know, the the survivors are they're literally hacking heads off of bodies every day to survive. So, I mean, if you got a kid that you're dragging through all of that, but they're still zombies. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But does a kid, you know, do you really know the difference? I mean, what what you're learning is like we hack heads off of bodies. Yeah. You know. Wait, can we hold, uh, pause for a second? I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me pause. All right, I'm back. Um, so so there's, so there's not a whole lot you could do for Carl at the time. Well, it's... Just because of the circumstance and they're just surviving and... You know, um, I, there's so much about Carl. I don't know why, but he, he really fascinates me a lot because I think, like, here's a kid that... Um, I mean, he's like one of the strongest of the group suddenly, you know. I mean, he's and um, he doesn't seem to be emotionally affected. And it's kind of like that's how you'd want to be if you were in that situation. Super strong, never emotionally affected by any loss, you know. Just keep going forward, head down, gun out, shooting when you need to. Um but doesn't that take some kind of emotion at all eventually? Eventually, don't you have to deal with that when you get older? When If the situation gets better and somehow... I think what it does is, like, 
I mean, I would just think projecting for that character, it prevents him from having connections. Like, let's say it all got solved suddenly, and then, you know, civilization kicked back in, and yeah. they're trying to live more of a normal, what we think of as a normal life. He, he would not fit in, which makes you think of things like soldiers coming back from war. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, also when I think of Carl, I think of like, he's like a little jihadist, you know, he's like this kid that's been trained to, uh, he believes in one thing, which is we survive, we must survive. I mean, he's like the adherent, uh, the, the, the most religious one of that whole survival religion. And yeah. that's all life is about now, you know? I, I think if I remember, you know, when um, there was a character named Carol, she lost her daughter, Sophia, and there was like three or four, I don't know how many episodes in season one or two, where they're looking for the daughter. Right. And he was really concerned for Sophia. But later on, when they find out she was bitten and turned into a zombie, you know, I think I think he he told his mom, I can't remember what he told his mom, but the mom, uh, Laurie was really concerned because he said, well, naturally you just have to kill her, you know? And he, he, he didn't sound like a kid anymore because right. they, you just, you have to grow really fast in that world, you know? And yeah. I think mom, Laurie's character always see, still has a Carl as a, her little boy. And I'm sure she's concerned about the emotional well-being of the son, you know? And, yeah, just like end up shooting Shane in the head, you know, shooting. I don't know. Did he? Did he end up shooting Sophia or? It just. Well, he 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 had to oh, be tough yeah. enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. He. I mean, in the comic books, he he he's shot a little kid. He's um, who else has he killed? I guess that's all. I, I can't remember. But I, I know there's one scene where, in the comic books, he talks to his father. And his father is asking him, like, well, I'm just worried about you. I'm worried about how you're doing. And it's when they're living in a place that they haven't gotten to this in the TV show, but there's a, a compound they come to in, in outside of Washington, D.C. I don't even know if they're going to do that in the TV mm -hmm. show. But they live in this place for a while, and he's asking Carl, like, can't you go play with the other kids and all that? And Carl's, like, bored by it and... And he, he goes, Dad, I don't understand. I've been doing what you wanted me to do. Yeah. I, I'm and I'm fine, you know. What well, what's your problem? You know, you're making me feel weird because you're asking me these questions. You it's know? it's almost <laughs> like guys who are in service, military service, they're more relaxed in a combat zone. And when they get out of that situation back home and it's everything's really nice and calm. Yep. They feel out of it, right? Yeah, so exactly. That, that's where that kid in. Yeah. Um, there is another character, and this is probably probably the most uh, favorite character among all Walking Dead, which is Daryl. Yeah. And he is younger brother of um, uh, uh, Merle, who is this redneck racist guy, and um, people like him because he. Um, it's a very hopeful situation because you know pe people unfairly think everyone from the south are a bunch of rednecks and they're racist right. and and maybe daryl grew up in an environment where he might not be that sophisticated but he he literally grow into a better person you know right and and learn that um he could work with people from different background 
Um, but I think and he becomes like the le- a leader when he was like just following his brother along. Yeah, make the decisions, and he he has a really good moral compass. Um, but I think I, I like I said, Plus I he's a, just a badass too. Yeah, badass <laughs> fans love him, and it it seemed like if I remember from right from the TV show, it implied he was abused as a child. I don't yeah. know what kind of abuse. I don't think it's necessarily sexual abuse, but for sure physical abuse, and. I think even his older brother Merle, you know, he's 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 one of those like a goofy character from Guardians of the Galaxy too. But yeah. his older brother Merle sounds like he probably suffered a lot. Yeah, you know, um, and I think Daryl yeah. was angry with his brother because his brother left where Daryl stayed, and I think the father was physically abusing him. You know, right? It, 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 uh, so. Yeah, it was really painful to watch that scene between the two. You know, you just think these guys, these are like a redneck bad guys. But if you get to know them, they really, they, they really had it hard. Um, I think, yeah. I think Daryl even have a scar in his body, just like his older brother, the beatings he got from his father, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. It's, Is it similar in the comic book too about that? Well, he's not in there. He's not in the comic books, so I think. Oh, these are like a made-up character, both of them. Yeah, Uh, I I don't think there's a Merle. I don't remember that. What about Daryl? Is there a Daryl in there? No, there's not Daryl. Oh, so this is a great character. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons. Like all the fans are like, you better not kill him, because it's like the one character that we can hope is going to survive. Because no, you know, there's no scene in a comic book where he's been killed or anything. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh. Yeah, you know what I was you brought up the whole thing about Merle being the governor's right-hand man. Yeah. And and he Because there was there was a, a season 1, he was acting like a jerk and I don't remember the circumstance, but Rick, the leader of the pack, handcuffed him on top of the building and left him there and when Daryl found out later on, he was very angry with him. So uh, Rick felt bad about leaving him there, so they went back to uh, rescue him. He disappeared, and basically, um, Merle saw a bunch of walkers, biters, zombies were ready to go out of the roof. A door was locked up with a chain, so they're they're trying to sneak in on top to eat him alive. And he just saw off his hand with like a, <laughs> and, 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 you know, his, so he doesn't have a hand. So right when he became governor's right hand man i start laughing you know just yeah. right hand man he's missing a right or left hand and whatnot but you were saying about him what what, what about him? well i just thought that's you know, i love those little things like that that he's missing his right hand and that i think it's his right hand and he's and he's the governor's right hand man and then i was telling you in the comic books carl starts i won't spoil it for people but he starts wearing an eye patch so it's like he becomes like a little mini governor. Oh, because it, you know, it, there's it a looks character. Like, in it, there's a character Michonne, uh, this African American warrior with a katana, Japanese sword, and they get in a big fight, and he she ended up taking the guy's eye out. So right. he's a, he has a patch, <laughs> right. and I didn't know. I didn't know in the comic book, uh, Carl put a uh, yeah, patch. Yeah, eventually Carl has to wear an eye patch, and 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 it's it's just interesting, you know that that symbolism of like is he becoming a mini governor because that really seems like he's on the way to doing that but he's still got some humanity you know he's not putting heads in aquariums yeah. and things like that so and and for those of you who never watched the show governor uh is um 
I wouldn't say he's evil, but he's misguided. He have to have it his way, and he does he does have this um, choices in life that is yeah questionable or harsh. And um, yeah, I think he's he's definitely over the edge for sure. I mean, you know, because he's 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 well, he's like a psychopath, is what we were saying earlier, basically. You know, because um, I haven't reread rest of the season three four and five but do you remember those two little girls um i don't remember their names do you remember uh i i don't know but you know who i'm talking about yeah yeah so um do you do you want to explain what happened to the girls because this really shocked the shit out of me last two episodes of season four um, well yeah yeah i mean um I'm sorry, we, I don't remember their names of those two. I'm girls. drawing a blank too, actually. But they, I mean, wait, well, hold on. Let's let's pause and let's look up for a second. Hold on. Okay. Okay, we're back. I uh, I apologize. I fucked up. We we were talking for a while, and I noticed I forgot to put push the record button twice. So I don't know how long we were talking. You the know, most for, profound things we said. Yeah, you missed it. Um, so I'm sorry, Mark. I mean, we, we we were talking for a while, and I just look over, and right now the numbers are going up. So obviously we were recording. So sorry, folks. Um, the last thing we were talking about, <laughs> I just gotta <laughs> pretend like we didn't talk. We were talking about those two little girls, and their names were Lizzie and what was it? You find out. I I think it's Molly. Molly. Yeah. Molly's the youngest daughter. Yeah. I mean, your sister. So. But basically, Carol was taking care of these two girls. And Carol is the mother of Sophia, and um, Lizzie, the oldest sister, I don't remember, something triggered psychologically. She she, yeah. she thought the walkers, zombies, are friends or pets. And well, were, like we've seen throughout like that, um, when they're in the prison, there's been these little flashes of her doing things she shouldn't be doing. You know? Right. And we see her slowly changing, and you know, doing uh, feeding the the walkers, and you know, stuff that's like alarming, basically. And and then, you know, we find out that she's actually killed Molly. Not know? malicious or evil, but she just thinks it's okay to kill them because they're going to come back to life, right? You know, right. and um, a very bizarre but yet childlike kind of idea of what's happening she lived in fantasy world right Right. i don't know if that's you're a psychologist so (laughs) i just call it fantasy world and then this becomes moral dilemma for tyrese african-american uh character from the wire and his friend with carol carol and which is shocking because in previous episodes uh the, the the inmates when they were living in this prison Many of the people got sick with some kind of flu or virus, and Carol made this decision for everyone, unbeknownst to people, that she was afraid this disease might spread. So she made a decision to kill those people. And right. Tyrese was friend with those people. He was very upset, trying to figure out who killed those people. But anyway, um, yeah. he ended up forgiving her because everyone made this kind of crazy tough decision sometime in this world but yeah. anyway that's beside the point um i was shocked watching this uh episode i think this is second to last episode of season four where 
older sister killing her younger sister. But what happened after that was even more shocking because what happened, Mark? Well, basically, Carol decides to kill Lizzie. Yes. To I mean, to take her out, you know, because uh, she's she's unstable and, um, it, it, you know, in Carol's mind, I think she represents a threat to their safety and especially the children and they still have the baby, Judith, who is Rick's. And Lori. Little, yeah. And Rick Lori and died, uh, died giving right. birth to this baby. The motherless baby, basically. Yeah. yeah. So she made this tough decision where this little girl, she is a little girl, but nevertheless, she's going to be, she could possibly be a threat to a baby girl. So they ended up killing her. But that, that really, that shocking. really shocked me. Shocking. Yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, in a normal circumstance, if you live in the, the world that we live in, if something like this happens, it was like shocking, but you would take her to mental institute because you can't, right. it's a murder, but legal system are probably not going to put in a capital punishment because she's too young and, you know, she's not old enough to be charged as an right. adult, but she probably would have gotten some psychological help, but... Well, you know, it it makes you face all of these things. One is like the horror of what's happening to the children. But then, um, you know, even when I was doing work with people, uh, you know, you do encounter certain people that have just things going on that, you know, they're not going to come back from like that. They're they're truly they've kind of I to be honest, I haven't dealt with that many, but a few like in what what they're referring to here in the show they're kind of giving us a taste of what a serial killer might be like as a child you know and um but do you think this is like a serial killer well i think she was developing into that yeah i mean i don't know that serial killer really fits in this world anymore but uh you know she's developed into this this person that you know, has some kind of fascination with murder, you know, and, and you don't think because of the circumstance, they live in a crazy world and this trauma and maybe it just kind of broke her. And now she live in this really weird, I, I don't know if she would have become this young, crazy kid living in normal circumstance, you know? Um, but it's so interesting if she was turned into a serial killer because, you know, most serial killers tend to be men, you know. Well, well, that's true. That's a, that's a good point. And uh, I guess what it brings up in me is just what do you do with the people you know are still dangerous? Like we have people in prison right now that yeah. we know if they got out, they would harm again. You know, that this debate goes on with pedophiles and things like that. Sure. What, what do you do with them? And, you know, being in the, the field I was in, I know that there's not a lot of treatment for people like that, you know, like a serial killer or a uh, um, chronic pedophile. Like there really isn't solid research on how to cure those people. Um, so in this world, what do you do? You got to kill them. You know, I mean, I, I guess, I guess that's the practical solution. But <laughs> right. I, I'm still shocked. You know, it's just. Yeah. Well, and then of course she's a child, which is yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah, um, it is shocking. I mean, when you, if you, 
have you deal with did you have to take care of kids when you were working as a therapist uh, or I I I did at some points in my career but um no I I didn't move in that in that into that kind of specialty I mean I think it it is a whole nother ball of wax you know um but there are children that are very disturbed and uh you know like I said there's not a lot of help for certain kinds of things of course, in our society, we would never give up on a child necessarily. No. You know, we would have them in an institution or something like that. But uh, maybe, maybe I'm gonna be repeating because I haven't had a chance to listen to the part one and part part two that we're doing right now. Yeah. But you know, like that case I I, I might have mentioned in second time on this, or maybe not. But I, you know, that 10, 15 years ago, there's these two little kids, five or six years old, ended up taking this three or four year old kid into woods, and they just they were just stoned him to death, you know? Right, So, right. Um, of course, th- they're not going to kill those kids. It's, it's just shocking. But, um, yeah, it's... And any time... It's just such a cringe fest whenever you hear something to happen with the kids. But it's such an unusual situation when kids end up murdering other kids. Right. It's, a, it's just such a young age, you know? Well, um, you know, in the in the comic book version of it, Carl is the one that ends up it's actually instead of two little girls, it's two little boys. So in the book, it was two little boys. There's yeah. two little boys in the book, and uh, same scenario, and they don't know what to do with the the bad boy or the boy that's killed the other one. And uh, Carl goes, well, I know what to do. And he secretly goes in and, and shoots the kid. So there you have a kid you know, taking charge when the adults are not sure what to do. How old, how old is Carl when you start a comic book about, well, how old is he when he does this? He around? seems a lot younger in the comic books than he does in the show. I mean, the show he's like, what would you say? Like 13, 14, 15. I mean, he seems that way. And yeah, the, the actor who plays him, but, uh, um, I'm not really sure. But the other story I was going to tell you is, uh, and that's different is um, Michonne, who is uh, once again on my hey, repeating. No, that's good. But African American uh, warrior, warrior, beautiful, and she's walking around with this giant katana, which is a Japanese sword. And later on, you hear a backstory about her um, had a family, good job, uh, son or or son-in-law, but you know she's having this really touchy touching conversation with Carl that, uh, you know, she's opened up to this kid. Because in the, at least in TV shows, she strikes you like this, like a tough, confident, uh, badass. Yeah. But it was really interesting to see show, she showed this very sad loss for her that she lost right. her family members too. Yeah. Yeah, it was like she does have, still have that motherly part of herself. But she's told- only showing it to Carl in the show, yeah. And, um, you mentioned this while I forgot to record because uh, after those two two little girls are dead, uh, episode later, which was the final episode of season four, Carl almost got raped. You know, and that talk about trauma. That, yeah. Does that happen in the book too? That Carl almost got raped. Yeah. yeah. Well, does he get raped in the comic book? Um, I it, no, he does. I don't think it ever says in the show or the comic book that he. He he's almost mm-hmm. 
close to being raped, but you know, Rick basically ends up killing the guys yeah. before they can do Rightfully it. Rightfully so. Yeah. 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 And uh so because you, it's because another trauma though, like it is very shocking. Yeah. And this conversation brought the situation Michonne because you were telling me some you told me something shocking. Well, like we were talking about the governor and the governor is so sadistic and like in um we had talked about uh but, by one the way, of our favorite characters, Glenn. Glenn. Um, and I don't even know if we talk about Glenn this name because um, after, after that um, facility the governor was running, everything going to shit, he, he leaves, he's along, and he meets this family, and you saw soft side of uh, governor. In fact, he was trying to do a lot of nice things for this uh, family. The father, uh, He meets with this very frail father with three daughters and yeah. he he helped them and you saw like a really good side of him that I wasn't really expecting that was a little right. surprising that I think he was trying to redeem himself by trying to be good yeah that doesn't really last a long time like that was his old self coming out yeah when he had daughter and things like that but so I did become a little sympathetic but you told me he he did something to Michonne. Um, he well, yeah. Well, we keep flipping back and forth. But in the comic book world, um, when they first go to um, the governor's town, uh, you know, there's a situation where uh, he basically tortures Michonne and rapes her repeatedly to try to break her. And um, what I was telling you is that you know there's a situation uh, finally Michonne gets out and a lot of things happen but she comes back and in the TV show they have a fight but yeah. in, in the comic book it's one of the most horrific torture scenes in the whole you know story because she just lets him have it I mean she's got a blowtorch she's using a blunt spoon to so she just go all Guantanamo uh, Bay uh, on him yeah yeah exactly yeah and uh and almost kills him and uh and i've forgotten how he finally dies but um she she's not responsible in that moment for killing him because she's still torturing him right yeah and and i i did say i remember this part that um it's not a very popular thing but um um i i do think there's times of there is place for revenge you know and I think if you're a religious person, you don't approve of it. And I got, I, I've, I've done stuff like that in my life where religious people or so-called moral people like don't agree with it. And one of the things they always bring up is, you know, Gandhi um, said, uh, you know, eye for eye, you know, will blind the whole world. So I'm paraphrasing, right, right. but to me, um, well, in that particular situation, I think Gandhi is a moron because. Um, eye for eye means equal measure. Like if somebody did something to you, you know, if you have a child, they did do something horrible to your child, whoever did that have to be punished, something equivalent to that because you have to punish them. And um, and my friends would say like, well, you're not better than animals. But here's the thing, we're better than animals because, you know, you've seen those animal kingdom shows or planet, uh, animal planet where there be herd of animal and lions or something will attack their right. offspring. The parents will fight up 
to a point, but once they realize their offspring is so damaged that it's not going to survive, they'll just leave and let them eat the offspring, right? Um, the reason why people practice revenge is because unlike those stupid animals, we're capable of uh, abstract thinking. We, we don't just, we, we do revenge because to show the rest of the world, we're trying to send information that you do something like to your family, there's going to be consequence for you. So it's, a, it's a, in a way to prevent future attack. And uh, I, I could appreciate that. And also, yeah. the reason I didn't approve when Gandhi <laughs> would say stuff like that, because Albert Einstein famously wrote him a letter that, you know, I understand you practice non-violence. Uh, non resistance and things like that but Einstein uh, wrote a letter to Gandhi and say well would you have uh, advice the Jews to do that during World War II when they were dealing with Nazis believe me yeah. peaceful resistance does not work all the time and right. you know when you're dealing with like Nazi that's just not a good prescription for it you really have to use violence for people like that so it's interesting we're talking about this because this week mm -hmm. all the stuff in the news about the torture the report on torture in the cia yeah has come out and everybody's debating that and i heard on the radio they they this guy was talking about a study that was done and he where they tested people's beliefs about torture right and that uh when when anyone was told that the torture was done for their peer group for the benefit of their peer group then they would approve of it or be okay with it or even for forget that it had happened yeah but when well, it was uh, another peer group mm -hmm. you know they would have an issue with it and have a strong emotional response to it you know this is where going back to the character that we like um Dale He's always reminding the group before he died, civilization, rule of law, and don't forget, you still want to learn, lose your humanity by behaving like animals, you know? Right. Um, but the reason why people who watch Fox and people who watch 24, they always bring this scenario like the nuclear bomb situation. <laughs> right. Like, this thing's going to blow off in a few minutes, and you have a terrorist, and it's so convenient um, that if you just torture the fuck out of this guy, he will give you information, save the world. But I don't, I don't think torture works in that situation. I think if I ended up doing something like that for revenge or something, I'm, I'm not. Well, this is probably a bad <laughs> example, but Mister Mister Blue or Mister Blonde or whatever that character from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, remember he ended up cutting the guy's the cop's ear off. Right, and the cop keep basically said. I'm, I don't have the information, or I'm not going to give it to you. And um, that character say, "Oh, I don't give a shit about your information. You could just keep it. I'm just going to cut, cut the fuck out of you." And he, that was like a sadistic right. thing. I'm not. I think that's how the governor is in this yeah. show, basically. Yeah, it's. He I don't believe in that. You know, just violence for sake of violence. But I think, I think there's some violence that's necessary when you're dealing with people like that. You know. So do you feel, so would you, would you have an, would you be obsessed with cutting if someone had cut your ear off and tortured you like that? Would you have an obsession to go after that person and cut their ear off? I mean, and, and attack them. I don't, back? I think that's such a cringy thing to do. I, I if somebody cut my ear and did that, I, I don't know if I want to cut their ear off. I probably got a gun to shoot him and just outright kill him. But, just have uh, it done. Yeah. yeah. I, 
I think you torture someone because you want to put fear into others. But if, 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 if remember, it's really hard to know unless you're in that situation. I, I, would, I think I would have killed that. the guy. But yeah. re- remember that character, um, um, season one, T Dog. Right. Great yeah. guy. Remember? Yeah. Uh, when Merle escaped from the roof, they still had the hand. And remember, they captured some guy. And he just throw the hand to the guy they capture and say, this is what the fuck we do to uh, people that we deal with and scare the guy into talking to them. Remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> I guess torture and violence can be practical. Show to the people you're having problem that this is what we are capable of doing. But for sake of just sadism, for sake of sadism, I don't, I don't think I would do that. I mean... I would just, if I'm getting revenge, and just get it over with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not into that theater of it. Well, but. you know, there's a scene in this new season where they, the whole group, the main group with Rick, Michonne, um, is Tyrese on that? I, um, I've forgotten who else is in the group. But uh, where they they capture the cannibals. Yes. Yeah, that had them at Terminus. And they escaped. In, they escaped, and they and they they've even eaten, <laughs> eaten part of their friend, Bob. Bob, right? Another character from the wild, uh, uh, the wire. That's right. He was on the wire. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, oh, he's and, uh, and he so got murdered tr- in prison. That's yeah. why I liked him so much. Yeah, and and then um, and he but, was bitten but, by Walker. So these guys cut his foot. And he started laughing, and they thought the cannibals that he's losing his mind. He's laughing because you just ate a foot of the guy who was infected by, you know, right? So. Tainted meat. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that what the point I was making is basically Rick and the and the others decide that they're not only going to kill. You know, I mean, they basically hack the cannibals to death, which to me it was like they, in a way, kind of tortured them to death. You know. It, it, it was a violent death. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. had. They it had, wasn't a quick death. In no, other words, they they had guns. They could have killed them. Right. They they want to give the worst possible death. Exactly. You know what that it reminded was, it me? It was a like serious payback. It reminded me um, because I used to work in the dope business. The Wonderland murder. Um, I don't know if you know the particular of this case. This was. Do you know? Do you know the Wonderland? You're talking about murder? OJ. No. Oh, it's, it's funny. It's interesting you say OJ because there's a place um, between Hollywood and the Valley, Laurel Canyon. Wonderland area is uh, off of a Laurel Canyon. And basically, these are the uh, people that John Holmes knew. Oh. And they have stashes. Uh, they, these guys are a friend of uh, John Holmes. And they just robbed a guy named Nash, Lebanese businessman with a lot of coke and money and things like that. So um, eventually they figure out who, who robbed this guy and they went to this Wonderland apartment and they went inside and they all had a pipes and baseball bat and they just beat him to death. I think one person survived and it was one of the first cases in California that they actually video camera to record the murder scene. It's very grisly. Wow. And uh, later on, it was a precursor to the murder that O.J. Simpson committed later on. Kind of, so it was one of the first murder that was filmed, you know. And, yeah. But yeah, that was a uh, season five, 
at church of all plays. Right, in a church. Just, and they yeah. just beat these cannibals to death. Right. And it, truly eye for an eye almost. And there was another well, Actually not because they didn't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a character, uh, the guy who plays a priest. He's another character from The Wire. There's a bunch of Wire oh, characters. Man, I have not made that connection. Yeah, That's they're all... A, yeah, they're great actors. They're great yeah, actors. Yeah, and and you have to have a lot of African and American because Georgia have a lot of black people. You know, Atlanta is like well fifty percent black, so of course naturally you have to have a lot of <laughs> black characters. And um, yeah, they're great. I mean, the Tyrese character is really interesting. He is another character from The Wire, right. and he's a really big black dude. He's soft voice and. He always resorts to violence last because um, it's counterintuitive. But he's a big black guy, powerful build, but he doesn't like violence, you know. But yeah. he will if he have to. And well, it makes me wonder, like, if you're in the CIA right after nine eleven, and do you have part of that desire for revenge in you when you get some of these guys in front of you that maybe maybe are responsible or going to do it again, you know? And, and and do you take it out on them in that same way or or because it seems like now that we're so far away from that we have a different mindset yeah. like i mean right after 9-11 bush is saying we're gonna go get those guys yeah and they did go get them you know and then we find out well they kind of tortured them too but they uh, got some of those guys who did the terrible things um but we also got innocent people who had nothing to do with it. Wow. We've been keeping them for years. And this is a thing that we, we mentioned before, like, yes, fight monster, but don't become a monster to kill monsters, you know? Right. In, in a way, I think terrorists did kind of win because we, we lost a lot of personal liberties. We, we had to make changes in our lives. And we act in a way that um, we initially had a lot of sympathy from the rest of the world, and I think some people are still mixed feeling about the way we dealt with the problems, you know. And stuff that Dale, going back to Dale, you know, Victor Frankl was a very famous uh, Holocaust survivor, and he, uh, God, what is the book that he wrote? Um, oh, wait, uh, your sister's here. Okay, we're back, and I'm recording, and the battery's almost there. So anyway, Victor Franco, thank you. You you just told me, uh, man searching for meaning. Man and, search for meaning. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I, I'm pretty sure that's his and book. The, it, it's an amazing book because he he was he was Holocaust survivor, and he basically said, uh, and this is something the Greeks probably talk about in those Greek tragedy and things like that in the classics that sometimes terrible things do happen to you. You don't have control over it, but you do have control how you react to these terrible events. You know, mm -hmm. and this is something that. Um, Dale always talk about, but I'm here. Well, I think that's what the whole show is about mm -hmm. on one level is what do terrible things do to you? What what are they going to do? How are they going to transform you? Who will you be after it happens? Who do you want to be? Yeah. You know, so like we're watching these characters and Rick, the central one, I mean, we're, we're, it allows us to think about all those things. Like, and that's what draws me into it is because man so many crazy things happen that you know every week there's a new question of well shit if that had happened then maybe i would be the governor yeah uh, you know i i i, I want to be clear like that's true like you don't know until you're in that situation what you would have done you know right. it's easy to this whole ferguson thing i'm not i don't want to take a size because i i don't i hear so many different things but um 
it's all it's one thing i always hear about people criticizing police like oh why didn't you why don't you shoot him in the foot because people panic you don't it's easy for you to say what you should do at the comfort right. of home but when you're in the situation when you're getting attacked assuming what the police officer was saying is true like fuck if my life is a uh, in danger i probably would have shot him like 20 times just to make sure that i don't get hurt you know so right um I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know what's the solution, but yeah, the Victor Franco's like. Well, I think I mean, amazing. With uh, with the whole Ferguson thing, you know, the issue that I keep coming back to there is just that that whole region, you know, um, just has such a long history of racial strife that you know the more these things happen the more you start asking the question why is this so relentless yeah why does this keep happening when is it gonna stop some of the same questions in this show you know and uh, uh man they something needs to be done about it but i think something will be done um maybe maybe i'll make this one comment and you commit if you have another comment but I just wa- I just finished watching season two of Masters of Sex. Oh yeah, and it's about Master and Johnson. You know they study sex and they live in the suburb of St. Louis. And like this season, they cover like you know this is like early sixty, late fifties and early sixties. And boy, even just just watching the show and they talk about Martin Luther King and like racial tension in suburb of St. Louis. Right. So I thought it was in- interesting coincidence that. Um, you know, whole things happen in Ferguson. Because I just drove, a month and a half ago, two months ago, I drove back from Indianapolis to L.A. I stopped by Ferguson for three, four hours. Yeah. And yeah, you, you, do, you do feel like a little bit of tension, you know. Um, well, you know, what? Um, I, I wrote this book last year. It's a fantasy book, you know, about, it's, it's called Opal Summerfield. And... Uh, the main character is black in the, in the book. And I set the story in the Ozark mountains and that's not too far from Ferguson. Right. And, you know, in that area of the country, um, uh, you know, racism is is still a big issue. And, and even where there are communities that are, maybe there's not as much strife, there's still that segregation going on. So, and um, you know, it's it's just part of the DNA of that that culture down there. But uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully things will change. You know what? When when we come back, maybe next couple of days after we, I'm gonna re-listen. And I'll make you a copy of it, and uh, after listening to it, we could talk about stuff that uh, we didn't talk about. But but just like the wire. I, I liked Walking Dead because it's a pretty diverse cast. I mean, you have actually Asian guy, white people, you right. have black people, and Latinos. Yeah, it's it's a um, pretty good mix of the show. So at least you have we haven't sensed racism in. Uh, that's one good thing that you don't see too much racism in this crazy world. Right. Yeah. You know, it's so crazy that they don't have time to be racist again. Well, I think Merle stood out as the main racist, but he he got eliminated. Yeah, it's more it's just the dead against the living. And 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 we'll finish with this. It's interesting Daryl, you know, they know the difference between Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and later on when he become friend with uh, uh Glenn, 
when his brother talk about Glenn and said, yeah, that Chinese kid, and Daryl corrects him and said, no, he's Korean. <laughs> it's interesting that in a yeah. short amount of time, even Daryl, he's not a racist, it's just he grew up in a, like a really weird situation and being abused as a kid, but yeah, there are some hope. There's sprinkles of a like nice thing that do happen in uh, Walking Dead. Right. So, all right, well, let's come back in a couple of days after listening to it, and plus my battery's about to die, so... Mark, thanks, and uh, yeah, let's come well, back. Thanks a couple for days. having me, man. It's been fun talking about this. Yeah, this will be part one, so we will finish part two in a couple of days. Hopefully. All right, thanks.